0: Father in heaven we thank you for this time we thank you for your goodness Lord we thank you for the blood that saves us because it was perfect because Father it was without blemish because it was the blood of God God in the flesh as Jesus came and walked upon this earth who lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died God, give us insight and understanding. And if there's one that doesn't know you today, I pray that you draw them by the power of your spirit. And may your name be praised in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the next 30 seconds, you will on average take about eight breaths. Your heart will beat between 33 and 40 times. You produce 72 million red blood cells, and your blood will travel four miles. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 9 that life is in the blood, Passover blood. Kind of a gruesome topic for our culture today. Most of us have, are a little bit squeamish of blood. We don't even want our blood taken, much less do we want to look at very much blood, particularly blood that's not ours. I guess it's even worse if it is ours. But the Bible talks a lot about blood. As a matter of fact, it is the mechanism that the God of the universe has chosen to save us. That's kind of morbid for most people because we're clean cut we're cultured we're educated but if we lived in the earlier days if we lived in the days of the patriarchs of our forefathers it was quite a regular scene there wasn't a butcher as we know it or a grocery store and for a lot of people your one of your most valued commodities was your livestock and of course your children Uh, Meat was a very, very rare thing that you would eat. Most people, the average commoner, would maybe eat meat two or three times a year. It may be a special celebration. The wealthy, although there were few, could afford it certainly more often. But it's not like we think today. And so it was quite the sacrifice whenever meat was given, whenever it was offered And certainly, if it was offered in a sense that it was made to pay for something, as it was quite commonly done. God, in his wisdom, wanted people to understand the cost of sin. We see in Genesis 4 that what happens after Adam and Eve recognize that they're naked, after they sin, that God allows them to have a covering which would have come at the cost of an animal. A covering or an atonement It's a big word that we use in the- theological terms. In Genesis chapter 9, the Bible tells us that, again, the blood, the life of the individual is in the blood. Blood was equated with life. In Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 God said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So why did God use blood sacrifice for sin? There's a big term I want to give you this morning. And it's called Penal Substitutionary Atonement. Matter of fact, we even have it up there for you. Penal Substitutionary Atonement. Now, I will go ahead and tell you that this theologically is my interpretation of what occurred on the cross. Uh, You certainly can find other uh, basically interpretations, if you want to call them that, of what you would call that. But I'm I'm going to use this one. This is the one that I uh, paid good money to learn in seminary. And uh, it's the one that makes most sense. It's the one that probably most conservative evangelicals would describe. Not, not all, but probably the majority. But what it simply means this. Penal, of course, you know what that means. It means penalty. There is a penalty. Today, when we commit a crime, there's a penalty. Whether it is something you financially pay, whether you pay time in jail, or whether in some instances your life is taken. That's penal, okay? There's a price. There is a cost. Secondly, uh, we see the word substitutionary. Substitutionary. When I pay a fine, that money is taking the place of what I would have had to spend in jail. Okay, so it's substituting. It's something else is going in place of me. So there's there's a penalty, and now it's being substituted. And then the last word, of course, atonement. That's just a big word that means a biblical word that means covering. So the penalty, a substitution has paid the penalty by covering the debt. You've heard me use this description before. It's like uh, you have a son or daughter who uh, somehow gets a hold of all your information, and they take all of their money, all their wealth, and they they start to wipe you out. And you look up, and there's millions and millions of dollars of debt. And you figure, I'm 65, and I don't have time to pay that off. And you recognize, I can never pay 200 million dollars of debt off in my last 20 years of life. It's impossible for me to, to make uh, what I presently do legally to make 200 million dollars. So what can I do? You, there's nothing you can do. You would depend be dependent upon someone else to cover that or to completely forgive that. Something else there would have to be another way for that to be covered and that's the picture of our sin our sin is so expensive because God in his holiness cannot look upon the sin and there had, it had to be covered and we can never do enough good deeds. There's nothing we could pay, there's nothing that we could do to cover that cost. So there had to be a penal, penal substitutionary atonement. And of course that was Jesus. Now, I want I want to give you my understanding and my thoughts on why God required a blood sacrifice for sin pretty much giving you a good indication but let's talk about some things more specifically to be in God's holy present our sin must be covered so that's the first and foremost because of the holiness of God because of the justice of God that sin must be dealt with number two to demonstrate the severity of the cost of sin the enormous cost as the illustration I gave you that you cannot cover it you cannot pay it off thirdly to provide a foreshadowing or a representation Of the future sacrifice of Christ. And the last one that helps us to understand. To establish a sacrificial system that that served as a placeholder. Until the Messiah provided the true and final sacrifice. So lambs, animals would be offered as a sacrifice. As an atonement, as a covering for the sin. But it had to be done over and over and over again. Until Jesus came and met all the criteria that we'll read here in just a moment. Came on an act of grace and love and mercy and covered our sins for all who would believe and transfer our trust to what Jesus did on the cross and receive the salvation that he offers to us today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, beginning with the first verse. You'll notice the number 10 there is used quite frequently. That number 10, as well as 7 and and multiples of 7, are key numbers. And they indicate wholeness, completeness. Uh, they indicate uh, the finality. They indicate that God has finished, that he is exercising his authority and he is instituting his design and his desire. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of the month. In other words, this is your New Year's, okay? We're starting a calendar. This is your New Year's day, so to speak, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day, remember we talked about the number 10 and what the significance of 10, of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons according to which you can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Now what was that number? So in other words, if I had a smaller family, there are four in my family, maybe there are five or six in your family, those would be a smaller families at that point, okay? Ten was not uncommon, uh, but uh, particularly when you uh, add that there might be a grandmother and a grandfather and, and other parts of the fa- or other members of the family in that one household. So the number was ten. If you had at least ten people, then you would consume the lamb yourself. If there were only four or five or six or whatever, one or two in your family, then you would combine with a neighbor or with a, maybe another relative, and you would come there couldn 't be more than twenty. twenty was the max, then you had to kill another lamb. but if there were ten at least ten you would do it all the way up to the number twenty and so that 's what 's transpiring Again we see uh, the significance of the number ten uh, also we'll see we 've seen the ten plagues have brought us to this point. and the Bible says in verse five, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old, which is the prime Uh, of a lamb's life, of a sheep's life, you may take it from the sheep or the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day. Notice the multiple of seven, 14, of this month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. Who else died at twilight? Jesus. Again, that word foreshadowing, as you see the shadow of what ultimately is to come. Uh, and, of course, this is thousands of years before Christ. We continue in verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two boor- d- doorposts, the lentil of the house in which they are to eat. In other words, they, were, they would take a bowl, they would place the blood of the lamb in the bowl, and then they put it on the top lentil, then on the side post, and then the other post. Now, does anybody recognize what's going on? You see the foreshadowing of the cross that is to come. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs they shall eat it. Remember that for the end of the service. Do not eat any of it, raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its eggs, excuse me, with its legs and its inner parts. and you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And if you'll remember we talked about last week, the ten plagues are the judgment of God upon the Egyptian gods. And we see this final, uh, this final judgment, this final plague. He says, if you've applied the blood to your home, then the death angel will pass over. Thus the term, pass over. And he says, uh, also the firstborn shall die, the firstborn son. Uh, we saw last week, I uh, also talked about Apis was one of the bulls that they, one of the gods they worshiped was, uh, was a bull. And uh, this certainly is a reflection upon that as well, upon the firstborn bulls. And we see here, uh, in on the, it's, he's literally saying in this verse right here, in verse 12, he says, I will strike all the firstborn in the land of uh, Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. It's exactly what the plagues have been. A judgment executed on the gods of Egypt, upon the false gods of Egypt, of whom even some of the Israelite people have fallen into worship of. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Remember, what is the blood? It's the sign of life. So the life has been applied. It's a foreshadowing of Christ. They don't understand that at this point. But the blood has been applied. The life has been applied so that the angel will pass over so that your life is spared. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. One day there will be a judgment. The Bible clearly tells us. And for all of us who have the blood of Christ applied to our account, to our lives, we will be passed over. Our sins will be no more. We are covered and God sees us as holy children. The Bible says in verse 14, This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout generations as a statute forever. And you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats of it, uh, eats of the leaven from that day forward until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now let's skip over to verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land, the Lord will give you as he has promised, and you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Uh, the children are asking questions. And the Bible says, you shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared those who had the blood account, uh, blood applied to the accounts. He just says, spared of our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So we see the significance of the blood. Now, as we went through that that passage, as we read through that, we'll notice that there's some criteria for the Passover lamb. There's criteria for the sacrifice that was to be made. And I want you to listen carefully and notice carefully, these are all foreshadowings of the ultimate sacrifice of the Christ who is to come. The first we see, the sacrifice must be a lamb. In John we see, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away our sins. In the book of Revelation, the word lamb is used 30 times to describe Jesus Christ. It is the term that is used uh, to describe who Jesus is. 30 times. The sacrifice must be a lamb. The sacrifice must be a male. The sacrifice must be in the prime of its life. The lamb would be one, couldn't be two years old, but one to two years old. uh, And that was the prime of his life. From our late 20s, early 30s, uh, we see the prime of a man's life. The sacrifice must be without blemish, just as Christ was without sin. The sacrifice will be without any broken bones. If you'll recall, uh, on Calvary, on Golgotha, Uh, one of the ways after suffering had transpired long enough and the Romans were ready to go home, they would come by and if you were still alive, you were still breathing, they would break your legs. Therefore, you could no longer uh, hold yourself up and breathe and you would basically die of suffocation. And what occurs here is they break the other thieves' legs, but when they get to Jesus, he's already dead. They pierce his side, but they never break his bones, just as the bones of the lamb could not be broken when offered. The sacrifice was to be offered at twilight, just as we talked about earlier, Jesus died at twilight. The blood of the sacrifice must be applied. Now today, we do something else that uh, is not Passover. Of course, Passover, we know, was to be uh, used or to be observed once a year, but we now practice something called communion. Uh, you maybe grew up calling it the Lord's Supper and a lot of debate even amongst some of you. I love your questions. You know, why do we skip weeks sometimes in communion? In this service actually we do it all the time, but some of my dear Baptist brothers, why do we do communion all the time? I don't know if that's right. And, uh, and so I, that's God bless all of you. Uh, what Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So there's not a prescriptive term or a prescriptive sentence given it that tells us exactly how often to do it. Uh, I've talked to people who do it daily. Uh, I know a gentleman who does it every day. And uh, I know some folks who uh, do it, some churches that do it once a year. And so the, the ter- for us today and for our purposes, the, the question is not how often you should do it, but that you should do it. And it is basically a fulfillment of Passover in my opinion. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, if we notice, both of these are commanded by the Lord. Neither one of these are man-made institutions. These were both created by the Lord. Uh, Exodus 12, 43 and 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three 23 tells us this. Jesus instituted and God uh, the Father institutes this at Passover. Both are meant for believers of those who are following Christ, who've given the evidence that they are believers. So in Passover. Uh, you had to be circumcised, quite frankly, to be a part of this. It was a picture, a demonstration that you had fully commit to Yahweh God, to the God of the Jews, or of the Israelites, as they were known at that time. Uh, secondly, we know for us today, uh, we, when we uh, have a time of communion at the end of this service, it is a picture of us remembering what Christ has done, and we proclaim his death, burial, resurrection, and his return one day. And it's a picture that we demonstrate of our faith and what we believe with the bread and the cup. Also, uh, both are to be eaten together with other believers. Uh, This was always a part of the community. So sometimes they, often they did it in early church, they did it in their homes, but it would be a group. So really the concept, I, I know there are people that do it on their own individually, but The purpose of it was always meant for believers to come together and to have a shared experience of worship where they observe what they believe and they give evidence of it. And one of the ways that you give testimony and evidence is that others see it. And so I think it's important that we do it uh, together. Now, does that have to be everybody in the church all at one time? No. Uh, Like I said, we see in the early church that they were doing it in their homes. They were basically their small groups. They were gathering around the table and they were participating in the Lord's Supper slash communion both are meant to be proclaimed they are meant to be a testimony they are a witness they are a proclamation that this is what I believe you know baptism was the certainly the initial sign that in the early church uh, that identified believers there are a lot of people that would listen to the message a lot of people that listen to Jesus's teachings a lot of people listen to the apostles teachings but those who made the step and say I believe and they were baptized That was the picture. That was the covenant commitment. That was the wedding ring of salvation that demonstrated that I'm a believer and I'm a follower. And from that point, you took upon uh, the mantle, so to speak, and people identified you that way and often at great cost. So when we look at this, we recognize as we partake of communion, as we partake of the bread and the cup, it's a proclamation to others of what we believe. And then also we see that it's to be observed and practiced, and certainly we are doing that. Certainly, uh, we ha- we are in good company with all of Christendom as we participate in communion. And then, lastly, both were instituted as a remembrance for the people for their redemption. They're, it's a remembrance to the people of the redemption of Christ. We see the redemption that is given and that is accomplished through the Passover. The redemption is made by the blood of the lamb, and now our redemption, we are redeemed. God redeems our life, the cost of our life, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at one last verse with me in Luke chapter 9, verse 30, actually verse 30 and 31, because I think this is interesting. Jesus is here. He's at the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's gone up And the Bible says in Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 30, and it says this. And behold, two men were talking with him, talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Now, do you know what that word departure is in the Hebrew? It's exodus. Spoke of his exodus. So Moses is talking to Jesus about Jesus' exodus, and the Bible says, at this point, it says, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So you get the picture, transfiguration. There's Moses, there's Elijah, and Jesus. And Moses begins to speak with him. Jesus begins to speak with Moses. And they begin to talk about his exodus. He would soon go to Jerusalem And we know what happens at Jerusalem, and he will give his life. But he will lead the greatest spiritual exodus of all history. As he gives his life upon the cross, the final exodus will occur. Those who are captive to sin are given the chance to receive by grace through faith, Jesus Christ, through his atoning sacrifice, the one for all, no longer will lambs or goats, have to be sacrificed because Jesus has paid the price once and for all. The perfect sacrifice. Now, this table right here, and I'm going to move this for you guys just so uh, you can see a little better. Um, This table is a very basic Seder Passover table is what we have right here. And uh, as you look at this table, there are different elements, and let me let me say this: I know a couple of you were raised Jewish, and uh, this is a basic one. And and by the way, <clears throat> as I have studied and as I was uh, in Jerusalem and in Israel this last year, past year, what I came to find out is, just like you know, there are a lot of different types of Christians. There are a lot of different types of Jews, and uh, they a lot of them have some different elements added, maybe one or two removed. But this is the basic. As a matter of fact. Uh, Messianic Jews, who are Jews who believe in Christ, and there's a whole denomination of Messianic Jews. And matter of fact, we've had uh, Messianic rabbis come here before. Uh, This is primarily what they would practice. So this is kind of the basics, okay? And so as we look at this Seder table, if you've been a part about a Seder, hey, you missed an element. Uh, God bless you. We're just doing the basic ones here today. If I did this whole thing, it's about an hour and a half, and I think some of you aren't going to stay for the whole time if I do that. So I want to just give you a basic understanding of what would have transpired uh, during that time at, at a Passover Seder meal. Um, first of all, uh, I want to just identify something for you. These are the four cups, and uh, the four cups uh, each have a different name. Uh, this first cup uh, is the cup uh, that is called uh, the, uh, what is it called? I just, uh, kadush or and uh, it is the cup of sanctification. So, as the cup of sanctification starts, everything is sanctified. It's a picture as the father takes the cup and he drinks of the cup. He prays a prayer and everything that will happen is sanctified. Now, the very first thing that happens in this service or in this, uh, in this uh, observance is the mother comes and she lights the festival candles. And as she lights those candles, that is kind of the beginning of the seder. Now, I think it's interesting, I want you to see all the symbolism, all the foreshadowing of what is to come, because remember, when this is started, there's no understanding of Jesus, there's no understanding of Christianity, there's no New Testament, heck, there's not even an Old Testament at this point, okay? There's the story of Genesis, and, but I want you to just kind of grasp the foreshadowing of what is to come. So, these candles are lit, they're the festival candles, and they're lit, they're lit by the mother, to begin the process of the observance of the Seder. Again, with that understanding of foreshadowing. Who is it that God uses to begin the process, to begin the institution, to begin the life of Jesus Christ here on this earth? It's Mary. We see it prophesied in um, Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. God chose a woman to bring the light of the world to our earth, to our world. And so the mother stands, and again, remember, this is Judaism. They're not thinking this when they're doing this, okay? But she lights the candles, therefore beginning the Seder. Seder, by the way, simply means the order. Then they receive of the cup of sanctification that I just mentioned. And from there... Uh, There are uh, four questions that are to be asked by the children. Uh, They will ask these questions. They'll say, first of all, they'll go, um, on this night, we ask the question, um, why are we eating unleavened bread when any other night we can have leavened bread? Unleavened simply means there's no yeast. This is called matzah. It's what you will have in a moment uh, at our table, or excuse me, in our communion service. Uh, So why do we do that? Why do we have just matzah? The second question they'll ask, they'll say, why do we have bitter herbs? On other nights, we would have vegetables, but why are we eating these bitter herbs? And that question will be answered in story form. The other question they'll ask, why do we dip our vegetables twice in salt water before we eat them? And then lastly, they'll say, why do we recline on this night? Why do we recline at the table? And so those are the four questions that are asked by the children, and it it's kind of starts the process of Seder. And then uh, first, there's kind of an appetizer, so to speak, and it's part of, again, uh, it's partially, uh, it can be several different things, and then it's dipped twice into the water. And this is kind of the appetizer, and it's also to provoke question, why are we doing this? The children might ask. And matter of fact, a, a good rabbi says, if the children are asking questions, they're learning, and that's part of what the Seder is all about. So let's answer those questions. So what is the matzah? What is the purpose of the matzah? Why do they only eat matzah on this night? Well, because if you remember at the Passover, God tells them, look, you need to be ready and I want you to be in haste. I want you to prepare yourself. I want you to have your staff and your sandals on. And so they ate this bread in haste. And the picture here is this. It's that they are about to leave, and they don't have time to enjoy. They have been slaves, and they're about to leave in a hurry. And so they're remembering the condition their forefathers were in and when they were not allowed to eat leaven that night. Also, we know throughout the Bible, leaven will become a picture of sin. Jesus will use it as a symbol later on. Then there are the bitter herbs. So why are we eating these bitter herbs? Well, the bitter herbs, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> there's, you've got that and also horseradish that they would take the matzah literally, and they would dip it in. I'm not going to do that. And then they would eat it. And they have this extremely bitter taste in their mouth. Why are they doing that? It's for them to remember how my forefathers suffered, how they were in the bondage of slavery, how they were suffering under the wrath of Pharaoh. Next, after that, they would dip their um, They would take that same piece and then they would dip it in a, uh, it's uh, uh, basically called hoseth. It's a sweet, uh, chopped up fruit, cinnamon, might have some little fruit oil in it, uh, fruit juice in it and they dip it in there and it's very sweet and what it does is it kind of erases the taste of the horseradish, of the bitter herbs and so they would partake of that, they would eat of that Uh, and, and why is that? because um, that's a picture of though we were in, our forefathers were in the slavery, the redemption had come and the sweetness of the redemption came about. Now, again, I was mentioning how they would have dipped this in the salt water. The salt water was representation of the tears that their forefathers had shed. But now the redemption is here, the sweetness of redemption. And then lastly, the reason that they recline is because now they are free. They have been delivered and they are free from the oppression of the Egyptians. Now you see also here a huge bone. This is representative of a lamb shank uh, because they no longer uh, eat lamb at Passover because the lamb is no longer used as a sacrifice. In 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed by the Romans, it has never been replaced, and so that because that temple doesn't exist, there are no longer sacrifices offered. So for the Jew, as they see that this is to commemorate, they don't do anything with it it's just a reminder of the time when a lamb was offered as a sacrifice, but no more because the temple doesn't exist, and so it's it's kind of a sad reminder of the way our sins were forgiven. Uh, they'll also use this hard-boiled egg. It's basically the same thing as to remember the sacrifice. They don't eat it. They just kind of have it there, and it's remembrance of the sacrifice that, was, that used to be offered on behalf of the people of Israel. Then we come to the second cup, and this is the cup of judgment, the cup that's always known for the plagues, uh, it's the cup. Sometimes they'll, they'll use the term deliverance, but it's, it's referring to the ten plagues that occurred. And so they will take it and they'll put their finger in there and ten times. They will dip it once for each plague. And it's a remembrance of how God brought judgments upon those who oppressed them and made them slaves. And it's a remembrance of the great deeds and the great plagues that were accomplished through God's hand. On those who brought slavery and sadness to the Israelites. And then at this point, they would bring out, and this is very interesting to me, this is called a matzatash, basically a bread basket. And the matzah is taken and it's placed, three pieces of matzah are placed in there at this point, and except and they're put in three different compartments. And the, the rabbis, it's interesting, they, they debate over what do these three compartments mean. Some say it's, it's, a, it's a symbolic of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some say it's the nation of Israel, it's the Levites, and it's the priests. <clears throat> a lot of different theories the rabbis have about the purpose of the matzah bag and the three compartments. But ultimately, they're not sure. But what's very, very curious to me and very, very intriguing to me is at this point, they will take out one of the pieces of the matzah. And they will break it in half. And then they will take that piece and they'll put it inside a linen cloth. Remember, this is Jewish. It's not correct. They'll put it inside a linen cloth and they'll go and they'll hide it under something in another room. They'll go and basically bury it, so to speak, and leave it there for later on for the children to find. And so they'll put that there and they've taken that piece. The rest of the bread is put back into the bag. And uh, by the way, three compartments work pretty good for us: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, I told you the second piece is taken; it's broken. Who's the second person of the Trinity? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then the meal is given and served. They take up. There's a whole meal that goes with this as well. And then after the meal, the third cup, the cup of redemption, is taken, and it's remembered of how the Lord redeemed and delivered and freed and brought life and salvation to the people of Israel. And they partake of the cup. The fourth cup is actually uh, the cup of Elijah. And it's the cup of restoration that one day Elisha will come and he will announce the he will be the forebearer to the Messiah and complete restoration of the nation of Israel will transpire. Uh, but that's usually left empty. That's usually not used. There's a place setting actually for Elijah. Some will take of the cup, but there's a place for Elijah. But of course, we believe that to be John the Baptist. It was uh, prophesied in Micah, uh, Malachi chapter 4. We believe that to be John the Baptist for our Savior, for Christ Jesus. Now, here again, this is just, I get chills when I think about this. Jesus is sitting there at the Lord's Supper. He's there at Passover, and he's going through this whole Passover. And then when he gets to this part, and by the way, now the children, the, the children are allowed to go and find uh, the, the matzah bread. They come back and they bring it, and when it brings it back, it gets a prize, and they give it to the father. And the father takes the piece of bread, and he takes it. And then you know what he does? He begins to break it in little pieces, and it's given to each person around the table. Each person takes a piece of bread of the bread and at this point this is what jesus says he says behold this bread if you matter of fact you can go back it's written in matthew we've got it in luke we've got it in corinthians and it's it's slightly different each time but this is basically what he says behold a new covenant my blood is given to you and as often as you shall drink of this cup you shall proclaim my death is coming as often as you will as he gives them the bread, eat of this bread, do this in remembrance of me. He's saying today this prophecy, this institution is fulfilled. The new covenant found in Jeremiah 31, 31, a new covenant I will give you. This, the new covenant has come. I have fulfilled this covenant. And he says, take this cup that fulfills the new covenant, it is in my blood. The new covenant is in my blood. Take and drink. This morning, as you receive from the table of the Lord, I want you to realize it is much richer, much deeper, much more significant than a lot of us, Take time to think about. When Passover was being, being instituted, this wasn't something God said, oh, just coincidentally, you know, maybe this will all fall out. This was God's plan for eternity. One day he would send Jesus, the perfect lamb, the lamb without blemish, the lamb that was a male, the lamb that was in the prime of its life the lamb that was unspotted with no broken bones. He would live the perfect life that you and I should have lived, and he will die the death that you and I should have died so that his blood will be put on our account, that God will see us, it will be covered, we will be atoned for, and he will see us at holy. You know why? Because the body that was perfect was broken in half, and it was placed in a tomb, and on the third day, he arose. He arose. Just as he said he would. So as we receive, we receive as men and women, not who are simply here to check a box, but because we are here to to receive and we are here to praise and we are here to worship and to observe as Jesus commanded, the new covenant. It is our salvation. It is our hope. It is our purpose. And it's because of the blood of Christ. So as you receive of this bread, you recognize the life that Jesus lived. The beating that he took, the broken body that he experienced, so that we might know salvation. As you receive of the cup, you recognize that that's the new covenant, and that covenant is in his blood. It had to be spilled because the Bible says there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. My friend, do you know him? Have you come to the place where you recognize you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself? It's only the blood that He spilled that can cover you. There's no other way. Have you come to that place where you say, Jesus, here's my life. I am poor in spirit. I cannot earn my salvation. I give it to you. Save me. Apply your blood to my account. I receive you humbly, God, as the God of the universe. I believe and I commit my life to the new covenant that has been bought for me in your blood. Apply the blood to my account. Have you done that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And Lord, I hope that you've helped us understand this morning that it was a great cost that he paid and that it can only be paid by the blood of Christ. Lord, I thank you that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the Passover, that he has brought life, forgiveness, and hope for all Jews, for all Gentiles, for anyone who will believe and put our hope and trust and commit our lives to you. We're saved by grace through faith in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would receive you this day. Receive your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you, Father.